Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Pastor Larry Davis. It's like a dinosaur. So when the uh, lights go down and the screen comes up, I can hear the noise first. It's making this... And it's soft. It's rhythmic. And I can begin to see the reflection of the moon off the water as the waves come in small, yet throwing the little small rocks on top of the large ones. As it pulls itself back in, it's tranquil, it's euphoric, and getting lost in it right away, and suddenly a large sandaled foot crashes into the screen and stomps down. As its calf muscles bulge and push itself forward, I begin to see in the background movement, movement, uh, movement of wood, uh, and then it comes into picture. It's a large craft, it's a boat, and as he's heaving it forward into the water, he grabs the sides with his hands and his forearms flex as he pulls himself over lightly and not a sound is made as he enters into the craft. As it pans out further back, you can see that he's got a partner making the last heave as they enter fully into the water. He throws himself with a quick silent move into the boat as well and they both place their small torches, one in the front, one in the back. The man in the middle then gets the oars out and places them quietly into the water and begins to row and work their way out into the deep water. I can see the reflection of the light that flickers off of that small fire off of the man's back as I can see his, his shoulder muscles, his triceps, his traps, his biceps all just ripped as he's making his way out into the deep water. As they get further out, I can see now just the reflection of what's happening. They seem to have found a spot where they've come to some sort of stop, and they've placed the oars back in the boat, and the man in the middle, as he bends down and reaches up and scoops up a, a large object, a pile of something, is, is taken back by the weight as he lifts it up, and it looks like he's beginning to throw. I realize he's got a body. He's going to dump a body. Now, I don't know why or what's going on or what, who it is or what's, what's happening. I just know that this has gotten good, and I'm fixed by the scene. And as he turns his hips, and then he begins to chuck and throw it over, you can see as suddenly it spreads out and lays in a nice circle. As it ripples across the water, I realize it's a net. It's not a body. He's fishing with a net. As he stands there and slowly lets the rope go through his hands, the beaten, tattered hands that are blistered and calloused of so much of this same work you can see, yet still delicate to the touch and soft to feel as to where the bottom is or maybe where a fish would come in or a shoal of fish, sensitive to the touch. That's been taught by father, that's been taught by grandfather, that's been taught by great-grandfather. And I watch as he begins to grab and pull that rope in, hand over hand, his sandals now off, his feet up on the side of the wood. As he begins to pull, I can see the light again dance off the beads of sweat that are coming up in his forearm as his veins begin to bulge. And as he brings it in, it's nothing. It's empty. You can see now his partner is doing the same thing, him on his side and the other on his side. 
as they're circling around and continually coming up with nothing. I now uh, hear them speak up to one another. He says, how about we try the point? As they gather their things, they put them back in. They quietly make their way over to the point and to then later on to the shallows and then to the mouth of the river that comes into the sea. And over and over again, nothing. You can now see that it's not just them as they moved around. There's many out there doing the same thing on their own craft. And only as cinematography can do, the light goes down again and comes back up as time has elapsed. And we see now for the first time an outline of the hill in the background. And it's that ball of flame, that little fireball begins to make its way up over the horizon. I've realized They've been out the entire night now, and nothing. It's time to collect their things. They put them back into their boat, and the man in the middle, as his back is faced home, begins to paddle back to home and not worrying about noise now. There's much more splashing than before as he heaves his sore, tired muscles back to home with two thoughts in mind. The first of his family, his wife and kids, as he's going to get home and he's going to get some family time. It's when he gets home in the morning and he sits down at the table and they enjoy a meal together. It's breakfast. Just wants to put something hot in his belly before he goes to sleep where his kids will talk about his catch from the night before. He'll talk about what they're going to be doing that day. And this is the family time if you work the night shift. Where then mom will scoot the kids together and scoot them out the front Adobe door out into school and what the day has to bring for them, and he will crash. That's night for him in that small part of the morning before he gets to get up and do it again. And the second thought I can't help but today think that today is one of those days you don't want to come back into your community with an empty boat. So he's caught nothing the whole night. And the thoughts of coming back up and landing on shore when You've been to the fishing villages, you know how they are, the small groups of boys running around ready to bring in the boats and pull them on the shore, and the first thing you want to do is stick their little eyes over the edge and look in and see what kind of fish you have and poke their little googly eyes and see the biggest one is and how many there is or what other weird crazy creatures you've caught over the night, or even, hey, hey, can we cut one open and see what it ate? You know that they'll be asking, and you know when they do, they'll be sticking their head over and saying, hey, Mr., Aren't you a, weren't you out last night? Yeah, I was out last night. Well, weren't you fishing? Yeah, I was fishing. Well, didn't you catch anything? No, I didn't catch anything. Well, hey, mister, aren't you any good? Get out of here. You don't want to do that as you're making your way back in. The thoughts start going through your head of the, the time spent, the money spent, of the family, the hard work that is showing no fruit for this night as you're making your way back in. And on this day, as they come around the point and they begin to make their way closer to the shores, they notice that today is unusual, unlike other days where it looks like the entire city or town is there, waiting. <laughs> Not what you wanted to see. And as they get closer, they begin to realize that no one is going to care that they're back and what they've caught. See, people have been coming even from over the hillside to see and they're all fixed on him. See, Jesus is standing knee-deep in the water, speaking truth to a group of people. A crowd has gathered at the shoreline. And as they pull up and they land their boat, no one comes over to help them, no little small groups of boys. They're all fixed. They're all listening to every word he has to say. See, these fishermen, they weren't 
men's ministry guys or small group guys, they did that out on the water. That's what they did. But this Jesus who was standing there speaking truth didn't give him a crutch to lean on. Real grown men were stopping listening to these words because it was a different hope of, of love and mercy and grace and something that they had never heard before but yet so wanted. So they began to listen as they had listened before as they were cleaning their nets. As they're standing there cleaning their nets, preparing to go for after such a long night, being tired and broken to go home, they look over and they watch as Jesus begins to make his way over to one of their boats that's landed on the shore and invite himself on. And I can only imagine in this scene watching as he's like, no, get off my boat. <laughs> and as he gets on this boat, he calls Simon, it's his boat, and says, hey, will you put off a little bit so I can talk? Because this is the creator of the created. He, he's the one who created sound waves and water and knows that when he's standing there knee deep in water that really only the first 14 rows can hear. He's got to get out a little bit deeper. He's got to sit there and he knows how sound will travel across the water so more people can hear what he has to say and can get that message clearly. And as he goes out there, he has a seat and Simon Peter now has to get into the boat and say, I just want to go home. Why did you pick my boat? Why are you using my boat? And make his way out. He's only got one job, a little, a little here, a little there, just to keep it steady, to keep it from drifting, because you know you're going to get all the booze if you're the guy that let Jesus start doing the weird drift thing while he's talking. And you don't want that. And the angle we get, the perspective we get to see from that spot as he sits there, just keeping it steady, looking through the back of Jesus' head, watching the crowd react to the Lord speaking truth into these people's lives as it's something they've wanted and needed to hear for so long. I can't imagine, oh, to be there in that moment. And as he finishes, they begin to dismiss the crowd from a distance, and you can see many are going home. There's a small line gathering at the shore to shake his hand and make him kiss babies or whatever they do. And he leans over to Simon and says, hey, let's go out and let the nets down for a catch. (laughs) you don't even know the night I just had. You don't even have any idea. This uh, story takes place in Luke chapter 5. I invite you if you want to open up your own flat screen and follow the story. It's in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. It's one of the first four. It's Luke there, and we're going to be in chapter 5. You can read it on the screen as well if you'd like to. It says in verse 1, One day as Jesus was standing by the lake, The Sea of Galilee, the people were crowding around him, listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night. And haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. This scene as it unfolds, he's just tired. He just wants to go home. <laughs> and now he says, let's put out and let down the nets for a catch. And he's like, whoa, whoa, time out. I am tired. You caught me in a bad day. And you're like this, Jesus. You, you do the speaking thing. You do the preaching thing. That's what you do. I'm the fisherman. That's what I do. Don't tell me how to do what I do. And I'm not going to tell you how to do what you do. In that moment. And he's like, hey, we've, we've tried all night. The fish, 
the fish aren't here, we've spent our time to do that, and you don't let your nets out in the middle of the day because they can see it coming from a mile away. But because you say so, I will. From the shore, we get the scene of uh, his partners or his friends that are sitting there waiting to finish up and cleaning up for the morning so they can go home as well and just get some much-needed rest. As they're watching and it's done, it's like, okay, bring them back in. Let's go. We want to get out of here. Let's lock everything up. And he watches them. They go out of the deep water. He's like, what are you doing? Are you trying to show off right now? And from this scene, he watches them then drop the nets. And I don't know if, if Simon like, did it all nice and pretty to show off and he grabbed it and wanted to do a beautiful throw show Jesus how it's done, or if he just wanted to be like, this is ridiculous, uh, I'll show you how we do this, and he just went, there, bloop, 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 <laughs> let it out, see, it doesn't work. And the next shot that we get to see is, in verse 6, it says, when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and they filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me. Get out of my boat, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the son of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, I know, don't be afraid. From now on you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore and left everything and follow him. See, we're starting this new series called Alter Ego. Like I said earlier, we're using this word that's scary for so many. It's called surrender. And how we surrender something or what we've been called or who we think we are into being what God's called us to be and who God wants us to be. And I've given you a few nuggets or crumbs to get yourself back to the point and where we're headed today and your uh, insert there. There's some, a place for notes And the first one I want to give to you is surrender starts when we realize who we are and who God is. That surrender starts when we realize who we are. And for Simon, this was, I'm a sinner. I think things, I thought things on the way home, just even rowing home and how I spent my time or if I was a good provider and we realized who God is. That moment he realized, (laughs) I'm a sinner and you are God and go away from me. I can't do this. And the next part of surrender is the act of surrender is defined by who we surrender to. And this is the really important part. The act of surrender is defined by who we surrender to. We've seen so many times in growing up that surrender is this really horrible thing. And it's defined by who we're surrendering or what we're surrendering to. And everyone surrenders to something at some point. Whether it's an addiction, a health issue, a family member, a person, a place, a circumstance. At some point, we are going to surrender to something, and it's defined by who or what it is. We've seen uh, surrender as this ultimate failure or giving up. That's a weakness. That's the waving the white flag saying, there's nothing left. There's no, other, uh, there's no other result that can come from this other than failure or quitting or giving up and giving over. Or as a, maybe you were a young kid and you had the older sibling come and hold you down with their knees on, the, on your shoulders and after you've like picked at them so much, they chased you down and they trapped you and you're sitting there stuck and you got your, your mouth clenched closed and you can see the spit slowly coming down out of their mouth at your face and then they suck it back up and it's coming back down. And you, you can't open your mouth and scream because as soon as you scream, the spit's going to go in your mouth. So you're completely stuck there until they're like digging their knuckle into your chest at the same time saying, say some weird thing like mama, jama, blah, 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 blah. 
And you're like, oh, until you have to say it perfectly or like, then you can finally be done and it's an ultimate failure and you're just bleh. Or like you've, someone's tried to break your hands off because they wanted to play some weird game called Mercy or they've made you say uncle for something and you're like, why'd you just break my pinky? <laughs> that was fun. That's been surrender to so many of us when we surrender to something. And I want to give you uh, a, a look at what the other side is when it's who you're surrendering to or what you're surrendering to. I remember on December 18th, 2004, I was hanging out with a bunch of my buddies. Actually, we were standing in line waiting for something. And uh, we, were all, we had all rented tuxes that day. Mine was a little different than theirs. I stood in this room and I waited for this woman to walk down the aisle. And I remember my best friend, Jesse, leaning forward and saying, I don't know if she's going to say I do. <laughs> and uh, I stood there and I waited for this woman to come down and to meet me. And, I, and in that moment, I had an act of surrender to her, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, for sickness and health, until death do us part, that I'm going to take care of you and you're going to take care of me. And when I say I do to you, that means I'm going to say I don't to a whole lot of other things, mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally, sexually. I've surrendered myself to you, and it's been, it's beautiful. It's been good. It's not always been, you know, rainbows and butterflies and unicorns and stuff. But it's, it's really great. And it can be. There's tough times in the same way when you make that decision, surrendering to God is not this scary thing of this ultimate give up. It's the same thing. He gets to say, hey, I want you. I want to have and to hold you, to take care of you. I got you. You're loved. I'm going to be with you. It's not always going to be this pretty picture of of bliss and utopia. There's going to be times, but he's always going to be there beside you and say, I'm never giving up. You're loved. I'm always going to give grace. I'm always going to be there for you. I'm always going to take care of you. Well, surrender isn't this horrible thing when you've defined it by who you're surrendering to. And that's what Peter does. He sits down and falls at his knees and says, go away from me. You don't even know who I am or what I've done or what my passes look like or what I've thought or what I've seen or what I've, any of that stuff. I'm a sinful man. That's who I am. And I don't even deserve to be in your presence. And his response is, I know. (laughs) I'm not going to tell you you're not. I'm not going to say, no, you're not. You're perfect. No, he says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. In that moment of surrender, they pulled up their boats on the shore and left everything and followed him. They put all the chips on the other side. Okay, I'm done. This, uh, this decision of surrendering led him to this, this from now on you will fish for people. And so many times we get lost in this idea of like, that's what Jesus has called us to do. Our job is to fish for people. And I'm going to tell you in this instance, this is not true. He's speaking to a fisherman. He's saying, hey, I'm going to take care of you where you're at and what you're doing and who you are. I'm going to use you. I'm going to love you. And we're going to do this together because he's talking to a fisherman. He says, I'm going to have you fish for people. If you're a teacher, this is probably what he would say to you. Don't be afraid. I'm going to have you teach. From now on, you're going to teach for people. You're going to hang drywall for people. You're going to work on computers for people. You're going to take care of babies for people. I'm going to use you. I'm going to love you. Because 
when, you're, when, you, when you take that step of surrender, you're giving up and you're saying, I don't to a whole lot of things. And you're saying, I do to a whole lot of things. And he wants to use you in that. In that moment, if he would have said that, like a lot of times we read into that, it says, he's saying we're going to fish for people. And that freaks people out. It would have freaked him out too. If, if he would have said that, he probably would have said, that, hey, from now on, you're going to be a pastor. <laughs> or from now on, you're going to be a missionary and you're going to go overseas. If that was Peter, he probably would have stood up and took an oar and slapped him over the head and then rowed really fast. And said, that's not me, I'm a fisherman. I don't know what else to do. And he says, you're right, you are a fisherman, and I'm going to use you to fish for people now. Surrender is also a daily mindset, not a one-time decision. We have to daily make that decision. So many times we get up during the day and we surrender to ourselves and say, hey, my God, I got this figured out. Today is my day. I'm going to do my thing because this is my plan. And we have a daily decision to make. Am I going to surrender to myself and my own thoughts and my own desires and what I think is right? Or are we going to surrender to God and let's say, I got you. Where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? How are you going to use me? How can you use me for people? And uh, the last thing I want you guys to get in your notes there and when I'm landing this plane right now and taking it home is I want you to remember this. It's not what you're called. It's what you answer to. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at his Jesus, the, feet, the knees of Jesus and said, Go away from me. Get out of my boat. Lord, I'm a sinful man. He called himself. He's been called all sorts of things. When I leave this place this afternoon, I will drive him away home and I will get a tap on my shoulder. I know it. And I will be called all sorts of things. You really think that you're good enough to stand up there in front of those people and say those things? You really think you're a good dad? You really think people are proud of you? You really think that you're loved? You really think that you work hard enough? You really think you're a good husband? <laughs> you, you really believe this whole grace thing? You really think that you're that strong? Because I think you're pretty weak. You were called all sorts of things. Every day we're all called. What are you called? I'm going to tell you one of those voices is God. He say, no, 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 you're loved. You're bold, you're courageous, you're faithful. You're mine. And we have a choice to make every day. What are we going to answer to? Are we going to answer to not good enough? A bad dad? Are we going to answer to loved? More than good enough compassionate, faithful. It's not what you're called, it's what you answer to. You have a choice. I'm going to give that choice to you today too. You can decide what you're going to answer to. <laughs> I'm called so many things. And even on this weekend with Father's Day, and some of us have had great fathers, and we've been called fantastic things. Some of us don't have our dads around anymore. Some of us have had, not had fathers. Or some of us have not been called to good things. And our Heavenly Father calls us things every day, and we have to choose what we're going to answer to. So you get to choose today what are you going to answer to. You guys have this little uh, tag there in your bulletin. It's stapled to your notes. It says, hello, my name is. And I want to invite you to take a moment and decide today not what you've been called, but what you're going to answer to and write that word in there.
What's that word going to be for you today? And you can put it on if you want to, or you can put it in your car, on your mirror, someone that's going to remind you every day of what am I going to answer to? I'm called this. What do I answer to? My word is a, my word's enough. That's the word God gave me today is a, you're enough. Enough. What's your word? What will you answer to? Would you bow your heads? Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Benicia, California.